Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. This is really, really, really weird for me. Um, I don't mind saying so. If you all know me at all, then you know that I actually don't mind feeling weird or being weird, looking weird. It doesn't bother me very much. But just like this moment right here, being on this stage, I'm very used to being on this stage, although it's been a long time, but I was on that part of the stage. Uh, I've never been down on this platform. They never let me, they never let me come down to this part. So this is brand new. And today, this is kind of a full circle moment for me. Um, but even more than that, it's a, it's a great opportunity, I think, to, to just share a testimony of God's faithfulness and of his redeeming love. Um, and I don't really want to lead into it any more than that, so I'm just going to jump straight in. Is that cool? Y'all mind if I share my testimony with you? All right, good. 9.30 claps a whole lot more than these guys, huh? That's cool. I'm going to turn it up, though. I'm going to turn it up. All right. Um, All right, so I I spent my youngest years in Maryland where I grew up going to church, going to Christian school, doing the, like, the the Wednesday night thing and the Iwana thing and the community groups or whatever we used to call it back then, like, in Maryland. But it was church, 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 everything. I had great parents. Like, it was good. They loved Jesus. Um, There was nothing bad. I'm not saying bad about any of that stuff. And I ended up uh, getting saved at age seven in Sunday school, my teacher told us about hell that day, and uh, he had this black flame candle, like in the movie Hocus Pocus, y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, this, so, so it's a candle, if you don't know, the, a black flame, flame candle is one that you can light and then turn off, turn off all the lights in the room. Candle still burns, it's hot, it's putting off heat, but it gives no light to the room. And Mr. Pluard, my Sunday school teacher, said that that's what hell would be like. It would be dark. And it would be hot. Enough said. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want any part of it. But I did, though. Listen, I did believe that my sin is what would lead me to hell. And the only way out was to be forgiven of that sin. And I could do so easily by believing that Jesus was the Son of God who died for my sins and rose three days later. Romans 10.9 says, you, like, that's, that's it. Salvation. You can have it right there. Uh, so, yeah, I believed. I was baptized. And that was that. Keep going to church, say my prayers, life should be pretty sweet from there, right? When I was 12, we moved from Maryland to North Charleston, and we started going to Midland Park Baptist Church. A fellow named Kurt Bradford was our pastor, and I had a youth pastor by the name of Joe Still. And uh, I'm not sure if those guys are around anymore. I know he was just here. Y'all, I wrote this before I knew that Joe was going to be here this morning. But I was going to say, I'm not sure if those guys are still around anymore, but if they are, they got to be pretty old. (laughs) Still funny. Anyway, that's just to say that that was my introduction to church in South Carolina. Now, I do have to tell you that to be introduced to church in South Carolina, coming from the north where there is a large stigma around church in the south, about Christians in the south, about a Southern Baptist church, to be under the teaching and the guidance, the leadership of Joe Still and Kirk Bradford was such a blessing. Such a blessing. It was so cool. Uh, If you don't know, Midland Park Baptist eventually moved over here, became River Bluff Church. That's where you're at now. All right, stick with me. I'm still in Christian school here in Charleston. I'm going to church, and I'm 
I don't know, I'm probably still praying. Um, so life is still all good. Until a few years later, uh, I started to go off the rails a little bit. My parents were having some problems. My dad moved away for a little while, uh, and I started getting in trouble about that same time. I was smoking and, and drinking, you know, when I could. I became a bit mean-spirited, a little defiant. I started doing poorly in school. And it might have taken a few years, but eventually I got myself kicked out of that Christian school. Somewhere along the line, we had moved to Goose Creek. And uh, so when I got kicked out of the Christian school, Goose Creek High School was the next stop. I was a little older at this point, so naturally the trouble that I got in became a little more serious. Started messing with drugs, partying, found out how easy it was to skip school at a public school. I was absent way more than I was present. And at that school, I lasted about a year. And then I dropped out of high school. Not long after that, I moved out of the house and I dropped out of church as well. I went nuts for a little while. Just doing stupid stuff, you know what I mean? Like, like doing whatever I thought would make me happy or make me money. And as we all know, the two are pretty much the same thing, right? Money and happiness. It's not, no, it's not right. It's not. That was a trick question. <laughs> Fail. All right, so, but really, though, I mean, I, it, was, it was drugs. It was selling drugs. It was doing drugs. It was driving drunk. When I tell you that it's only by the grace of God that I never seriously hurt anybody, that I never killed anybody doing this, the stuff that I was doing, I mean it. It is not just a cliche for me. It was God's grace and God's grace alone. Amen. Yes, amen is right. All right, so at this point now, I'm a dropout. I'm not going to church. And the only time that I pray is when I say thank God some of those nights, some of those mornings when I woke up and realized that I actually made it home. I wasn't 20 years old yet. And I was high, I was drunk, I was a thief, I was a liar, and I was a bit of a criminal. We should probably pray here. I'm praying for y'all because I feel like some of y'all are judging me right now. So y'all just hold on. It gets better. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being a good, good Father, thank you for being in the business of redemption and of restoration of lives and hearts. God, thank you for the work that Jesus did on the cross, the work that you have done in me, not so that I can be seen or that I can be heard, God, but so that your faithfulness, your goodness would shine and that my life would be a testimony to you. This morning, God, I pray that my words would not just be mine, but they would be in partnership with you and your spirit so that your gospel would be the star here this morning. I'll let your word ring true in the hearts and the minds of the people in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would, open up your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going. Bibles, apps, I don't care what you have, just look it up. I think it's important that we look this stuff up for ourselves, even though it's going to be on the screen up here. I'm the one who sent these notes to them for these words to be on the screen. I wrote them so they could be wrong, or it might just be something crazy because y'all don't know who I am. 
Look it up for yourself. Don't trust, don't just trust the words of the dude that's standing up here. We got the word of God for a reason. All right, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, we may not be able to lose our salvation. I'm not here to argue that one way or another. But we can certainly set it aside. You know what I mean? Like, we can certainly set it aside and we can deny Jesus with our actions day in and day out. And that was me. I may have believed one thing. I may have claimed the name of Jesus maybe if, if I was cornered. But I certainly was not allowing him to work in my life. I was not bearing his name. And whether I was eligible or not, I was deserving of God's wrath. Look at that last part of verse 2. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, the way I just read it right there was from the NIV. It's a little bit different from the one we read. But I like the way it puts it. Think about it. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I don't have time to get into every individual wrongdoing or sin that I committed during that time. But I can tell you this. I did some stuff during those years that I never would have dreamed of doing prior to that season in my life. I did things then that I would die before doing now. Who was at work in me? It wasn't Jesus. Verse 3, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Again, that's from the NIV. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Yeah, that sounds about right. You want sex? Search it out. Want to get high? Get high. Get drunk? Drink up. Don't have the money for it? Take it. Hurt someone in the process? Deny, 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 and abandon the relationship if you must. Just don't tell the truth. But God, it's verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I was dead in my sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, not because of his great lightning bolt with which he zaps us, not his great paddle with which he spanks us, not his great God-sized guilt trip with which he shames and condemns us, but his love, his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. By grace you have been saved. By grace I have been saved. Why would he do something so huge for someone who would deny him every day? Skip a couple verses. Look at verse 7. The question is why would he do it? 
when I denied him every day, when y'all have denied him at some point every day? Answer, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's a big deal, church. Do you understand what you've been saved from? Do you understand what you have been saved from? You may not have led a life like I did. Maybe you got saved when you were five years old, you got baptized, and you've been on the straight and narrow ever since. That's great. But even then, even then, you got to consider still what you were saved from, what was avoided because of that decision. What about generational sin that maybe Jesus protected you from once making that decision? What about your environment that maybe could have corrupted you but didn't because of that decision? Then you've been saved from very much. I don't care who you are. Me, I know what I was saved from. I was deserving of God's wrath in all its fullness, but God loved me so much that he would rather give up his own beloved son for me and for you too so that the generations to come would be able to know him better and have a better idea of what his grace is like. That's a really big deal. He's a really big God, and his love and his grace and his mercy are immeasurable. Amen. Do you know, if that doesn't make sense to you, if you, do you, do you know who God is? I think this is essential. If any of this is ever going to really hit home, if this is ever going to really stick, this is essential. You must know who God is. Exodus 34. Learning this bit changed my game. Learning exactly who God is. So Exodus 34, Moses is, is up on a mountain and he's talking to God in a way that most of us will never get to. And he said, God, I know that you're the God who brought us out of Egypt. I know that you're the God who took us across the Red Sea. I know that you're the God who brought down the ten plagues. But who are you? What are you made of? What are you like? And he didn't use all those words. What he said was, show me your glory. That's the English translation that we have. The Hebrew, that glory word there. Show me who you are. Show me what you're made of. You know what God's response was? He said, Yahweh, Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving rebellion, wickedness, and sin. That's his list of character traits that make up who he is. He is compassion. He is grace. He is faithfulness. He is love. But he's also just. I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. I'm sorry. I didn't write in this whole Exodus thing right here. It was just, man. But you got to know him, church. You can't go no farther if you don't. None of this is going to make sense. Now, this may seem out of order to y'all, but if this doesn't make sense or if this is new to you, if you're hearing these things about God for the first time right now, if this is the first time you heard about somebody like me being on a stage like this, there are a lot of people who would love to talk to you more after this service, myself included. So come and talk to me. All right, where were we? I'm back on track, promise. That's not a promise. I'm sorry. Take that back. We're, we're in verse 8, though. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God. I would love to tell you that I remember the moment I decided to actually follow Jesus, but I don't. I know that it was in this building. I, we, we fast forward a little bit, but I was 25 years old and I was engaged to my wife, Stephanie, who was pregnant with our daughter at the time. And we had just started coming back to church after a long hiatus. And I started to understand this idea of God's grace in a whole new light. Yeah, I had a, you know, a, a few rough years behind me, but I was still healthy. I didn't have a criminal record when I very well should have. I had parents that never gave up on me. I had met Stephanie and soon we'd have the most beautiful baby girl in the world. I was completely undeserving of anything like this. So why was it happening? That's grace. All the things I had done denying Jesus on a daily basis, just lay it down on the cross and I'm good. Yeah. That's forgiveness and mercy. That's just who God is. He is good all the time, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Whether we accept his forgiveness or not, but to be clear, he will not force himself on you. Salvation is a gift to either be accepted or rejected. That was around the time I decided to really repent. Like to turn around, to change my mind about the way that I chose to live. That meant choosing to stop pursuing what surrounding culture and media, movies, music suggested that I pursue and deciding to follow Jesus. To make decisions and life choices differently based on my relationship with him. Based on what I saw, the example that he set with his life on earth. And yes, there was a prayer involved in this decision, but it was so much more than just saying a simple prayer and being done with it. This was in every sense a decision, not magic, a decision. This is not brainwashing. This is a decision, and it's one that has had to be made every single day since. Y'all hear that? Every day. And I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. Some of y'all probably know this already because you've been there before and you've walked through all this. But in the coming months and years after making this decision, I failed more days than I succeeded at following through with that decision. Yep. It was not an instant 180 and all of a sudden I was levitating on my way to work and I had a halo over my head with a choir of angels following behind me. None of that. But I'll tell you this. With every day and every decision to do things his way, every moment that I submitted to his will, it seemed to get a little bit easier. The Bible calls that process sanctification. It was his grace that saved me, not anything that I did to earn it. Only having faith that Jesus is who he said he is and that his work on the cross was enough. Anyway, all that took place around 2007. Stephanie and I, we started serving in the church here at River Bluff. We were in the kids' ministry, and, and somewhere along the line, I started singing on the worship team. Things were good. They were comfortable. Until one day, almost 10 years later, when Stephanie came to me and asked if we could try out different churches. Oh, Stephanie. Why? 
We're comfortable. We're serving. We got two kids. One of them been baptized already. And if you're doing the math, that's three quarters of a holy home right there. Why do we need to change anything? Well, Stephanie had been raised Catholic. And she never knew that she could have a personal relationship with Jesus until coming here. And the teaching that she heard in this church, the incredibly faithful prayers of a prayer team praying night and day for our sick daughter and the tugging of the Holy Spirit are the things that drew her to the Lord. But this was her first Protestant church experience. It was my parents' church. It was the church that I grew up in and and she was curious as to what else might be out there. So we prayed on it, and eventually we made the decision to leave after some time looking around. We finished out 2016 here at River Bluff, and then we began to attend Restoration Community Church in Hanahan in the next January, 2017. I didn't know it at the time, but it was God that put that yearning in her heart. We started Restoration that January, right? Being invited, uh, we were invited actually by the worship leader at the time. By November of that year, I had stepped into the role of worship leader. I never wanted to be a worship leader. But Pastor Adam Spurlock told me that it was just until they found the right guy to fill the position, so I agreed. Y'all are laughing like a pastor's told you that before. Man, five years The next five years, I served as the the worship leader at Restoration. Now, I had some great partners along the way. I was never really on my own. But just until we find the right guy, it turned into five years. It's funny. But God used those five years to grow me in so many ways. As a Jesus follower, as a husband, as a father, As a leader, as a musician, you name it, God was at work. Stephanie and I, we had an an opportunity to spearhead a new dinner ministry aimed at loving neighbors of the church who were predominantly Hispanic. And what started off as a dinner ministry turned into, like we integrated the Spanish language into the worship ministry and singing songs in Spanish. Uh, An ESL class like bloomed out of this thing. And now I just heard a couple weeks ago they got a, a, a Hispanic community group that's meeting at the church. All people from the neighborhood. Most of these people can't even drive. Point is, he was using us. He was working through us. It was amazing. I was even preaching every now and then. When we started at Restoration, we were meeting at Hanahan Elementary School. 2020, we moved into a building. Everything was flourishing, and it had become so, so comfortable. Well, I guess it was a little more than a year after being in the new building that Pastor Joe Douglas asked Stephanie and I if we would join his family in planting a new church in Somerville. I don't remember exactly what I said to Joe when he asked me that, but it was something like, join y'all and who? He said he had another really strong family that was joining there called the Weisses, and that's not to be confused with the Weisses. Y'all got the Weisses. They're staying right here. I don't think they're going nowhere. We got the Weiss family that's going to be coming with us. At any rate, at any rate, that was it. We had just gotten comfortable again. 
And not only that, but church planning. I felt unprepared, unworthy, ill-equipped. And I felt that Joe was sorely mistaken asking us to be a part of this plan. All the same, we loved Joe and we loved his family, so we told him we'd sleep on it. And we did. We slept on it, prayed on it, talked about it. We even made a pros and cons list. I honestly think it was a few months before we ever got back to him with an answer. Well, let me tell you something about Joe Douglas. He's overseas right now, so he can't defend himself, but he's real, he's real slick. Real slick. So in those months that we were kind of mulling it over, chewing on it a little bit, this dude went and bought a house eight doors down from us in the same neighborhood. <laughs> now, I can't be certain, but my guess is he figured it'd be real hard for us to say no when every time we step out the door, we got to look at him. <laughs> Long story short, we did end up giving our yes. And despite seeing God work in so many ways over those years at restoration, the thought still crossed my mind, am I ready for this? Do God and Joe really know who they're asking to be a part of this, to take on this role? After everything I've done, how could I do it? Well, it turns out I'm not the first person to have these, these questions this is, this is what Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is verse 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That guy gets me. Paul gets me. He knew what it was to have been one thing and then be called into something wildly different. Even though he was once a blasphemous, violent leader of Christian persecution, he was shown mercy by Jesus. He was considered trustworthy and given strength to fulfill the calling on his life. I never persecuted the church, but I was definitely blasphemous. I was violent. If not directly, then indirectly. I was hedonistic. I was a lover of pleasure for the sake of pleasure. But God, right? Look at verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. How patient has God been with you? I have an idea of how patient he's been with me. Through all of the waiting and the stalling, the denial and the selfishness, the wrong turns and the misdirection. Thank you, God, for being patient with me, for being patient with us. But why is he patient with us? Why was he so patient with me? He just said it, verse 16, as an example 
for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He's patient with us so that our story and our lives might be a testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness to people who don't know him. He was patient with me because he saw me sitting here speaking to y'all today when nobody else did. Any good? Now, I'm remind y'all again, if it ain't hitting home yet, I remind y'all what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians, he said he wanted to show the surpassing riches of his grace through kindness to us. And now we see that he is patient with us as an example to folks who would believe and receive eternal life. It seems as though he is deeply invested in human redemption. Don't you think? Any good church. Not long after deciding to help plant a church, I was ordained as a minister. So I'm a pastor now. I wasn't a pastor last time I was here, but y'all can start calling me pastor when you address me after church. <laughs> pastor Dan, I'm just playing, I really don't like it at all. Somebody addressed me as Pastor Daniel in an email recently and it was, it was really off-putting, so don't. Thanks. Anyway, uh, that was just October, just in October last year. After years of me pushing back, I finally admitted that there was a calling on my life. Matt Tyler, one of the old pastors here, years ago he told me that he thought I should be a pastor. We were right here in this hallway. I've had college classmates tell me they thought I should be a pastor. Kurt Bradford literally prophesied over me years ago that one day I would do something big for God's kingdom and that he wanted to be here to see it and to be a part of it. I had no idea what he was talking about. I don't think he did either. He had a stroke, you know. <laughs> I still don't know if this is it or not. But I'm done denying and I'm done running. You know, when my dad died, uh, people said the most amazing things about him that really stuck out to us. Not just like my mom and my sister and me, but but people that had never even met him. And it wasn't stuff about being funny or being a hard worker or being dependable. I mean, people did say some of that stuff, but, and it was true, but it's not what stuck out to us. What stuck out to me were the decades of loyal service to the kingdom of God that people had witnessed firsthand. I've had people tell me that nobody knew the word of God like my father did. And I can attest to that. And when we was in trouble at the house, he always had to back it up with the word of God. And he used to just hold his hand over the Bible and the pages just be like, go right, right to whatever passage he was looking for. The dude knew the word of God. When Pastor Kurt preached his funeral four years ago, right here in this spot, he compared him with Barnabas, a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. When I was a teenager, I said I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't want to grow up to be like my dad. I think every teenager probably says that at some point or another. And listen, there's plenty about any earthly father that we don't want to inherit, including mine. But man, I really want that peace. 
I got a ways to go. But my yes is on the table, and it has been for some time now. Whatever he wants, I'm here for it, you dig? So, yeah, we're planning a church in Nexton. I spent all year meeting with people and talking with people and letting them know about what God's doing. I'm discipling a few guys, and I'm even counseling a married couple through a rough patch. Through all that, I'm trying to be the best husband and, and father that I know how to be. Honestly, it's been trying. At times, it's been difficult and annoying, frustrating, discouraging. But church, God is faithful. Amen. I have seen him show up at every turn. Every time I head into a conversation I feel ill-equipped for, he's there. Every week that's been booked with meetings in the morning and the evening and a full-time job in the middle, he has sustained me. He's provided my family with patience and understanding in a way that I could not have asked for and certainly didn't come naturally. And here we are. It's September, and we're four months away from launching Kingdom Church. We'll be having like these launch meetings soon, and we probably got, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 people who are all in. They're on board, they're coming, and they are ready, and we are super grateful for them. We're still fundraising, and God has continued to provide financially through faithful followers of Jesus. And even some who don't even know Jesus, they just want to be a part of something cool in the community. Y'all are invited to join in supporting our little section of God's kingdom as well. And I ain't here to raise money today. But if you're interested in, in hearing more about what God is doing out that way, then come talk to me after the service. Yeah, no fundraising. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you about the change that's happened in my life since deciding to follow Jesus. Some of, some of y'all were around at the beginning of it, but I hadn't seen most of y'all in a while, so I figured I'd check in and let you know that he ain't done with me yet. This is the last, last scripture. It's Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, and we're about to be done. For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I told you. He ain't done with me yet. And he ain't done with you yet either, Christian. He is working in you at all times through all things for those of you who love him and call on Jesus as Lord. All for your good and his glory. And he will not stop working until the job is done. So if you feel like you're not doing as well as the person next to you or the person standing on the stage, if you're the new believer in the room and you feel like you're failing more than you're winning, welcome to the club. Hang in there. Abide in Christ because he ain't done with you yet. And if you're out there today and none of this makes sense to you, but something is tugging at you, if you're feeling weary and burdened, feel like you're ready to lay it all down, I got good news for you. You ain't good enough, and you never will be. Welcome to church. 
You're not strong enough because you were never meant to be. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and he would give you rest. Whew. To follow Jesus is to let go of all else, including that which weighs you down. That's what Jesus called us to. Repent, believe the good news, and follow him. So what's the moral of the story? Well, at one point, one of y'all, some of y'all were worried about me because I went, I went a little crazy for a bit. But God revealed his grace and his forgiveness to me. And then I met an amazing woman. We had kids, finally started to settle down. But God used a sermon in this room right here to convict me to follow him with a career and helping people. So I got it together and went back to school and got a couple degrees. But God took me from just doing physical therapy and into ministry eventually and now to help plant a church. There is nothing about my story that doesn't have its roots in God's goodness. He has completely changed me and continues to change me every day. And plenty of y'all can say the same thing. So if any of this hits home this morning, if any of it is intriguing or if you are questioning anything, if you just want to hear more about this following Jesus stuff, I'd be happy to talk to you. I think there's going to be some people underneath the crosses later on in the service. They would be happy to talk to you as well. Let me pray for y'all. God, you are the gracious and compassionate God. You are abounding in love and faithfulness. You are a God who forgives, a God who redeems, who restores. Mm. Thank you for being that kind of God, for being that big, yet being so willing to make yourself as small as us for our sake so that we could be in a relationship with you, so that we can maintain a relationship with you, so that we could have a right standing with you. What great lengths you went through to make that happen for us. This morning, God, the gospel, the gospel has been presented. Your word says that your word will not return to you in vain. So this morning, I'm praying, I don't care if not one person gets up and wants to go and pray, God, I'm praying that your word, your gospel has affected somebody deeply. I pray that they would see themselves differently as you see them, as being somebody that is worth everything. Worth you giving up your son. Oh, God, would you change our hearts this morning. We love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.